0: Now, I think most of us enjoy a good magic show. I realize there are problems associated with magic when it's taken seriously and viewed mystically, or when it becomes an occultic practice or some sort of voodoo or black magic. But when it's simply sleight of hand and illusion, it's very entertaining. If you've been to a restaurant with Blake, you've no doubt seen him entertain the kids with a disappearing salt shaker. And a good magician, and even a not-so-good one with only one trick, uh, can do things that look impossible. You know, once we figure out how it's done, the magic is gone, but most of us still enjoy a good trick. My favorite magic tricks usually include uh, animals and and not just the bunnies you know pulled out of hats or the doves that appear and disappear i I like the tigers and uh, the elephants that disappear and magically you know pass through the air and then reappear somewhere else i 've never seen it in the flesh i 've seen it on t v but even that amazes me they they tell me it's it 's done with mirrors but uh, I'm still fascinated by it. Well, in our text for today, Jesus is going to mention an animal act that no magician can perform. But before we get to it, let's set the stage. Last week, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. What he was told forced him to rethink Jesus to rethink righteousness and to rethink commitment. And his sincerity was put to the test when Jesus forced him to make a choice between God and things. Jesus knew the hold the man's possessions had on him. So he told him he would have to sell everything, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come Follow him. Now, Jesus knew what he was asking the young man to do was hard. In fact, he compared it to a camel trying to pass through the eye of a needle. And as we pick up the account, we find the camel failing to go through. Luke chapter 18, verses 23 through 25. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler was grieved. When he heard Jesus' demands, Mark tells us his face fell and he went away. Why? Because he was extremely rich. He couldn't meet Jesus' demands because he was tied to his possessions. They possessed him and he couldn't break their grip. When a choice had to be made between God and mammon, he chose mammon. It grieved him. And it grieved our Lord. Mark tells us that Jesus felt a love for him. And some suggest that even means Jesus gave him a hug. But he had to let him go. Jesus had to let him go because the decision was his to make. Jesus watched as he walked away. And then he turned to his disciples and said how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And then to illustrate just how hard it is. Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now that is pretty hard. In fact, it's so hard that commentators throughout the years have tried to find a way to make it easier. You know, some have suggested that what Jesus really said was cable, not camel. And in the Greek, they're very similar. Camel is camelos, and cable or rope is elos. Others have suggested That Jesus was talking about a pedestrian gate into Jerusalem, one that would require the camel to be unloaded and kneel before it could go through. But as we'll soon see, the disciples didn't take it that way. They envisioned a literal camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. On another occasion, Jesus will call the Pharisees blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So it's not hard to believe that Jesus was painting an exaggerated picture to make a point. He was saying it would be extremely hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that had just been witnessed by the rich young ruler's refusal to trade his possessions for the kingdom. Let's not think, however, that Jesus was only talking about a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett. Both Matthew and Mark define the man's wealth by stating he owned much property. And in comparison to most men of his day, he was extremely rich. Most only had one suit of clothing. If they were lucky, a small dirt house and maybe a few farm animals. Compared to them, however, we too, with our closets full of clothes, our nice homes, our multiple vehicles of various kinds, would be extremely rich. So Jesus is talking about us. He's talking about us. So does that mean we are too rich to make it? If the disciples understood him correctly, the answer is yes. In fact, they assumed that he was saying that no one could make it through. But Jesus went on to clarify that God can take anyone through. Verses 26 and 27. And they who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things impossible with men are possible with God. The disciples took Jesus literally. And they knew it would be impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the implications really shook them up. Apparently, Jesus was saying it would be impossible for a rich man to be saved. And if a rich man couldn't be saved, who could? They believed wealth to be a sign of God's approval, his favor, his blessing. Poverty, on the other hand, was seen as a sign of God's displeasure. So if anyone was in God's good graces, it would be the rich. And now Jesus was saying that it was impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They therefore included that no one could be saved. Thus the cry, then who can be saved? It was a rhetorical question. They weren't looking for an answer. They had it figured out. No one. And Jesus indicated that they were at least partially right. It is humanly impossible for anyone to be saved. No man can save himself or anyone else. Just as it's impossible for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle, so is it impossible for anyone to squeeze himself or anyone else into the kingdom of God. With man, it is impossible. The good news, however, is that God can do things that are humanly impossible. You know, God is not bound by natural, physical laws. He is by nature supernatural. He is above and apart from that which is natural. The failure to acknowledge that is fundamental. It's a fundamental flaw with naturalistic speculations about origins. Now, when you rule out God, before you look at the evidence, you have to find a way for things to happen naturally. If you can't find one, you simply have to assume you haven't found it yet. And so you blindly go on without the facts, asserting by faith, that your theory is scientifically valid. We hear that all the time. We see that all the time. But God can do the impossible. That's what miracle is all about. If he couldn't, all the miracles recorded in the Bible would have to be sleight of hand or fables. And some do suggest that to be the case. Some Bible interpreters are as naturalistic as any evolutionary theorist. They suggest that Jesus calmed the sea by pouring oil on the water, overlooking, of course, that the wind was also stilled. They suggest that the 5,000 were spiritually filled by the five loaves and two fish, taking no notice of the 12 baskets of leftovers the disciples collected. They suggest Jesus only swooned on the cross and was revived in the cold tomb, forgetting that it had been sealed shut by a stone so heavy that the women knew they could not move it by themselves, or that the disciples made up the whole story of the resurrection, ignoring the fact that for that to be true, they would have had to have willingly died for a lie and not been deceived by it, the creators of it. That does not make sense. You know, what the Bible records as fact is fact. Even if it was only done once and supernaturally by God. We have a God who can do the impossible. He can even pass a camel through the eye of a needle. He's the one who holds the atoms together so he could really do what Star Trek does in the transporter room. He can take us through the eye of a needle into the kingdom of God. And he's the only one who can do it. We can't do it ourselves. We can't earn it. And money can't buy it. But we do have to be willing to give up everything to get it. In fact, we must die to self before it can be ours. We have to make a break with this life before God can take us through and cause us to be born again on the other side. That's how he gets us through. The i Of a needle. We die on one side of it and are born again on the other side. So, yes, God can do the impossible. He can get us through the eye of a needle, but He won't drag us through against our will. We have to decide. Whether or not we are willing to die to this life and the things of this life. If we are, he will take us through. If not, he will watch us walk away with tears in his eyes. We can't do it ourselves, but it is up to us. We've got to decide whether the kingdom is worth everything or not. We can't do it ourselves. We've got to decide. But before we decide, we should think again about the rewards of going through. Verses 28 through 30. And Peter said, Behold, We have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now leave it to Peter to speak up. The rich young ruler had refused to give up his riches, but the disciples had given up theirs. So Peter reminded Jesus that they had given up their possessions, even their homes, to follow him. But after what Jesus said about the impossibility of getting into the kingdom of God, Peter was worried. And he wanted some assurance that they hadn't given up their homes in vain. Jesus gave him that assurance he said they would be rewarded for their sacrifice now that's not to say that giving up things obligates God to reward us or to save us you know Ananias and Sapphira sold their farm and gave most of the proceeds to the apostles now they did lie about it they said they gave it all But still, they gave a sizable contribution to the church. And how are they rewarded? With sudden death. God's not obligated. And apparently he won't be conned by tokenism. You can't cut a deal with God. You can't give him something or do something for him that looks impressive and then say, well, now you owe me. God judges the motives of the heart. And if you're just doing something to get a reward, he'll see to it that you get an appropriate reward. If you're serving him to get the praise of men, you'll get it. If you give to be honored as a generous man, you'll be still so honored. You may even get a plaque on a wall somewhere. I know I misprinted that and said you might get a plague on the wall. <laughs> and that may be true, too. <laughs> I caught it this morning. <laughs> but don't assume that because you gave up something, because you paid a tithe or whatever, that you are guaranteed eternal life. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he is saying is that if we honestly give up our home and our family for his sake, He will see to it that we have a spiritual family and an eternal home. If service to him requires that we leave home, wife, brothers, parents, or children, he will make up for it many times over. It's still hard, but I'm sure the carols in France, the Sanners in Greece, and Chaplain Moore in Iraq finding that to be true. God is no man's debtor. He'll never leave you short. He'll more than make up for any sacrifice he requires. That doesn't mean you'll necessarily get rich if you give up riches for the kingdom. But he will make you rich in other ways. And he will provide for your needs. He'll provide for all of your needs. He's promised to do so. To provide for our physical, our emotional, and even our social needs. If we are really willing to give up self and die to self for his sake. And he'll not only reward us in this life, he'll reward us eternally. Now, Peter didn't need to worry. And neither do we. He will make our sacrifices well worth it. So when he requires us to give up something, even everything, we can do so with confidence. Confidence that he will reward us for doing so. It's not for the reward's sake, however, that we do it. We do it for his sake. And that means we must give him our heart before we give him anything else. If we do, he can take us through and do the impossible. If we are willing to die to self, he will cause us to be born again on the other side. Let's celebrate that.